0: kids that weren't as successful in class are like I got this because like you said they get to make the time that they need nobody's like and it's got to be done in 10 minutes and it's got to be done in five minutes and now you need to be hungry because it's lunchtime everybody knows like your job is hard everybody knows that and I think they thought they knew it before because they went to school and I think that that needs to be valued and compensated if I was a teacher and that is who I am and that's all I am and now I'm not able to teach. Now I'm having an identity crisis.
1: This pandemic has forced students to learn at home and educators have had to make a fast pivot to remote teaching. This season, I'm talking with teachers and students across the United States to find the silver linings of our situation, to find out what matters most in school, and to use those lessons as we reimagine the future of education. This has changed the narrative the podcast about innovation in education and the workplace. I'm your host and tour guide, Michael Hernandez. Jeroe Washington is originally from St. Paul, Minnesota, but currently resides in sunny Tampa, Florida. She is a wife and mother of three wonderful children, which she has found a new respect for during this quarantine. As a high-needs public school teacher, she has developed several initiatives centering around student activism, mentorship, and teacher leadership. She's been a keynote speaker and advisory for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, national state and district trainer and curriculum writer. Jero also has served as a member of several education organizations, such as the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's Teacher Advisory Council, Center for Teaching Quality, and National Geographic's Teacher Advisory Council. Her favorite pandemic activities have been long walks with her husband, learning the guitar, and making baby blankets for everyone she knows. That sounds like a great thing to do in your spare time. I love it. (laughs) Thanks for joining me this conversation, Juro. This is really great.
0: Thank you. It's an honor to be here. I'm super excited.
1: So can you tell me a little bit more about your school and your students and what your school situation is like normally?
0: All right. So I teach at Tampa, Florida at a Title I school. So this school is about 60% Hispanic. 30% 30% Black, and then everything else. We have a super high ELL population, so that's English language learners, um, those that come from Puerto Rico or Cuba or Honduras, um, and about 93% of our kids are on free and reduced lunch.
1: Like so many schools around our country, I know being in Los Angeles, Los Angeles Unified has 80% uh, poverty rate for their students and mostly uh, Latino students as well. Um, definitely leads to some big challenges, I think, for the remote learning piece. Uh, a lot of the teachers I've been speaking with, we've been in, including myself, well-resourced schools um, with English-speaking populations and all of that. Um, parents are mostly employed. Um, what are some of the unique challenges you've faced um, given those demographics with remote learning?
0: I think that you have to have a sensitivity, but also a um, like support. For example, like some of my kids are homeless. Um, But being homeless doesn't mean that I like baby them poor you're homeless so you don't have to do anything because the regularity of being with me and accomplishing things is the thing that's going to help them not be homeless in the future. So although you have to have understanding and provide support, you still need to help them go through their situation that in life we're all in situations how we act in those situations and how we move forward through those situations is going to be the determinant. So, um, keeping that in mind, we gave out like 600 laptops. So, um, that was really interesting, especially for kids that aren't used to having that, or maybe you have five brothers or sisters at home and now you have one laptop. So how you, um, manage your class might be different. We can't have live classes at a particular time that you have to be there. And it's mandated because, that's not going to happen for a lot of our students. They need to have that flexibility of when they can come in and how they can communicate with you. Um, English language learners, so being cognizant of how you um, portray your information and how you teach, just like in school. So I think the normal things that you would do in school for specific groups, you're going to do that now, but you have to figure out how can I do that now. Um, Feeding students has been a big thing. And I think that's been big all around the whole United States. Like, how do we provide food for kids that normally were eating at school? And I think our district's done a really great job of that, of having food sites. And now they give you food for a week. So you don't have to come back and forth every single day, but you get healthy food for a week, not just like boxes of stuff like fruits and vegetables and and cheese and dinner stuff and all kind of great stuff. So our kids are eating And that's one thing down, one thing they don't have to worry about.
1: I know that's, in LA Unified, it's the same situation as well. Um, I just find that incredible. Like, why is it up to the school district, um, teachers and administrators to feed children? Like, what's wrong with our society? (laughs) I mean, I know that we need the kids to be fed so they can concentrate and study and all that stuff, but where does it end? Do we provide housing for them? Do we provide parenting for them? I mean... It's really interesting. And then the burden that we're facing just trying to pay teachers a decent salary right, or sure. provide those computers so that they can do their lessons um, and that money is diverted to doing things that maybe society should be picking up.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Like, like you talk to teachers and they're like, I need to see my kids. Like this is the only place they have. And you're like, well, no, they have a whole family and they have a community in whatever situation that looks like too, like you're going to see them for this year, but you're not the end all be all in their whole life. I think we think more highly of ourselves than we ought sometimes as far as how we feel about where we place priority in a student's life and what happens if we're missing. Like God's got a whole world of billions and billions of people that your absence probably isn't going to break the whole system down.
1: Yeah, I think we're definitely arrogant about that. Like our class is the most important thing ever, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, they're gonna die. They're not here Like, Maybe maybe not though like give them some credit that they've learned something from you that They can survive with their own family. They've been doing it a while
1: So jero we're talking about these silver linings And I know that especially with your population and in your part of the country in that city, um, there's definitely some really tough uh, struggles, um given the situation, but trying to find out and learn from you what are some things that we're really learning that are beneficial here and also thinking about us as educators because it does come back to us and we've got a lot of emotional strain we have our own families and our own concerns and challenges in our own lives and you know I know a lot of teachers are you know parents of little kids and they have to teach their kids and teach their students um, <laughs> at the same time but I'm curious if you have like a secret deep down like thing that you really like about working from home
0: I do. So I love the flow and that's what I call it. Like having the flow of life being like one thing, like I am living one life as opposed to before where I would get up and I'm like rushing, get up for work, give everything I got at work, come home. Now I'm mad and tired and then try to be a parent and then try to be a wife. And so I thought I was like six people and I only have one life and that was tough. So now really prioritizing that I'm Jero and these are activities that I do, but having a more holistic flow to my life that those aren't compartmentalized things, like this is just one experience that I'm having. So I I love that part of it.
1: That's really interesting because I know a lot of people like to delineate their work life and professional life from their personal life. Why would you want to see those things blended together?
0: Um, I think because I want to be like a whole person. Like, I don't want to have to create these different facades or parts of me. And also because if one of those things are gone, now my identity is gone. So if I was a teacher and that is who I am and that's all I am and now I'm not able to teach. Now I'm having an identity crisis. Like, who am I? What is my purpose? Whereas opposed to I'm Jeroe. Well, then whatever experience Jero is having is fine because I'm not only a mother and I'm not only a wife or only a teacher or whatever else, you know, I can be. So that more holistic view of my life, it helps me be me and not have to put on facades in other places.
1: That's such a great perspective. I hadn't thought of that. Um, I wonder if that's why so many teachers are struggling with remote learning right now because they're not able to have that routine. Like I'm the most important person in the class. I'm going to lecture. And all of a sudden, like all that's thrown out the window. It's like, who am I? What's my point? What's my purpose? Why would the kids come to my class and show up?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's really an identity crisis. I think that's the way you phrase it is like right on. Um, and I also was thinking as you were talking about that, this connection to let the kids know that we're a human being too. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot, talking to a lot of teachers in the podcast, they've talked about how nice it is to see inside the the students' homes, right? Oh, I can see what posters are on their wall. I can see what their, you know, their bed looks like, or they have siblings that run through in the background and really get to know them as people other than as numbers or robots or whatever. And I think the same is true for us too. You know, you know, what I'm talking about like the kids see you out in the real world and in the wild and they're like stunned, like out of context, like, oh, who is that person? <laughs> um, but to like maybe be vulnerable, I mean, not to like, share intimate details at all, but just, you know, understand that we're all human. I wonder if that's a great way to make a connection to the kids.
0: Yeah, definitely breaks down the hierarchy to understand that we're all whole people. I would say like nothing that we're doing at that specific moment is so detrimental to breaking that. So I think sometimes teachers think like, well, my paper or my test is the most important thing for your life success. And so therefore it's got to get done in you don't see this whole person. And then there's the flip side of that, though, you do see the whole person, but how you're responding to that is like, they're a victim, you know, so because I do see this whole person, now that means this stuff isn't important. Me supporting their victimization is the most important. And that's not a a healthy way to look at it either, you know.
1: Well, tell me about that. What do you mean victimization? And how is that seeing that as like a negative
0: So, um, I was at a conference and there was an example of a teacher talk where they were honoring this teacher for finding out that there was a high school student and she was homeless, but nobody knew that. And she literally lived under one of the mods, the module like temporary portables. And in the morning that she would go and she would shower in the school locker room And she was an A student and nobody knew. And so this girl figured that out and she took her in. And so the whole talk was about how this lady took this girl in. Well, I think the whole talk should have been about how this girl's really gangster and she's an A student and she's homeless. But you know why I think why? Because nobody knew she's homeless. If people knew she was homeless, they might have been like, oh, well, don't worry about this. You can do less of this because I know you have so many things to worry about at home. Or, oh, are you okay? Let me check on you about this different thing. She didn't have that. She had, they think she's a gifted A student, which she is, and the pressures that went along with that, and she rose to that occasion. And I think sometimes by um, victimizing or highlighting your circumstance we elevate that above the student's success and that makes them be stuck in their circumstance. So now there's an excuse, right? Well, I'm easy and I can't read, so um, you should slow down for me or you should um, not give me as much work. And then they get out in real life and everybody's like, I don't care. So now what? So what do they do now?
1: Wow, that's incredible. I wonder how often we do that sort of subconsciously with our students around us. And obviously there's kids that that need some extra support and, you know, whatever that happens to me. Um, I know I had some deaf and hard of hearing students a couple of years ago in my film class. And it's a class where you have to use sound, you know, Mm -hmm. to edit with and things like that. And um, they they really stepped up and they did a really amazing job because we didn't lower our expectations of them. Um, But understanding, getting to know them and their circumstances, I can definitely see like, Their writing abilities were very poor and nobody held them to account because they're like, oh, it's okay. So that's a really interesting thing to see and to hear from you. You've been on quarantine for a while. You've got your family and stuff. Um, Is there something you learned about yourself while being on quarantine?
0: Uh, Yes. I've learned that I like am a creator and I have to create or I'll just like die. (laughs) So... And that is so funny, and it's kind of like my um, definition of human being right now is like to create, and so I've been creating music I, with my three chords that I know how to play in my guitar. Um, I've created. <laughs> t- it's 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 funny. I would show you, but you probably don't have time for that.
1: <laughs> I think you should score the the podcast. You should like do a little musical number for us.
0: Boom boom boom! I only know three chords. <laughs> but ideas like I'm creating ideas of things I want to do i I told you I've been making baby blankets and I just like I have to like I have to try a new thing I have to create this or let's create this garden or that kind of thing like I always have to be creating and doing and bless my husband he's like oh we need to go to the craft store now or let's go walk and you can think of this idea or what do you need to do so I definitely have to like create I've also learned that I was, um, my priorities were out of whack. So the things that I cared about the most, I was giving the less, least energy and time to. And, um, so I hope that that change continues when the busyness starts again, that my family is the number one thing that I believe like God has given me to take care of is the people in this house right here that came out my body. And, I was not giving them the energy that they deserve, you know, and also like, I believe like my relationship with God, like if I get up and I'm late, I'm like, Oh, I gotta get to work. I got, I didn't have that time really to spend while well, I had that time. I wasn't prioritizing the time correctly. And so now that I am, it's, it's really opened a lot of ideas and thoughts in my mind and I need to continue those things.
1: That's really great. I I totally agree with you on the making part. I feel like that's the way to survive. And when I get stressed out, like I got to make stuff, you know, I learned to make bread. Um, I'm making this podcast. I'm taking, I took a graphic novel class. Um, These things I've got to use my hands. I've got to think differently than I did before. And I hear you saying the same thing and it's the things that you already knew that are already part of your life, the prioritization, but also like making the time right? How you arrange things. And I wonder if that's the same for your students as well. Do you notice that?
0: Um, Some of them are really great at this online learning and they think it's better. Like kids that weren't as successful in class are like, I got this because like you said, they get to make the time that they need. Nobody's like, and it's got to be done in 10 minutes and it's got to be done in five minutes. And now you need to be hungry because it's lunchtime. Like, you know, so some of them like that. And I think some of them really, really struggle with that because they haven't got the skills yet to structure their own time or even think about, I've never had my own time. So what, what do I do with it? What do I think is important? I think it's, I don't know, 50-50.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. I think, you know, we say, oh, kids are wasting their time, but we haven't really trained them how to use their time efficiently. Right. So how can we lay the blame on them when we haven't done our job showing them how to schedule and keep track of things? I just got off of a zoom call with one of my journalism classes, just out of curiosity. I'm like, what's your sweet spot for doing math? And one kid's like, I don't really have one. Another kid's like "Ah, between 10 and 11 AM and another kids like 11 (laughs) PM. And I'm like, okay, so is that cruel to like make them do it at 8 a.m. or at 3. Um, You know, so it's, I think what you're saying is like this tapping into your humanity. uh, You as the whole person. (laughs) Um, Getting back in touch with who you are and your workflow and what's important. And and also like how these, these pursuits help you clear your mind and think about the other parts that we value in society, like school and education too, and help us become smarter and process those things a little bit. Okay, so you've got some kids, you've got a husband. How are you keeping your sanity?
0: Ooh, I think I'm like a flower. Like, I need to have sun, like, a certain amount of time during the day. And without it, like, I get crabby and I'm aware of it. Like, you're really moody right now. My husband's like, up. Oh, like I'm a dog. Like, oh, you need to go on a walk. Let's go. And so <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> we've done a lot of walking. Um, <laughs> I'm blessed with that because I live by a river and I live by the river walk in Tampa. So I can legit walk for like 10 miles and it'd be nice, you know, um, done a lot of, um, reading. So I read MetaHuman by Deepak Chakra. Hopefully I'm saying that right. Forgive me if I'm not, um, which has been really cool. Um, the making, so I have to have an activity that I can do while it's daylight and an activity I can do when it's night. So, I'm not just on TV forever. So, my crochet blanket is a night activity because I can just do that. And my neighbors are pretty happy that my guitar activity is not a nighttime activity. <laughs> uh-huh. But, really, that and just really looking at like God in me and what are we doing and why, and having this time be that time of reset, reflect, prepare, you know using whatever's offered. So whatever situation I have now, I'm learning that those aren't accidents. So use whatever situation you're in as either a pressure or a joy, whatever it is. Let's use that to keep moving forward.
1: Tell me about that, like using the pressure to move forward.
0: Yeah. So um, I think like good and a bad is just a matter of time. Nobody moves without pressure. It's like if you find a turtle, it's going to sit there unless something happens to make it want to move, like the sun moves away or somebody kicks it or whatever. But people are like that. A lot of people do not move and do not change unless it's uncomfortable. And so without that uncomfortability, we don't grow.
1: 100%. (laughs) Exactly, I mean, look at our current situation, right?
0: Right. Or you just sit there and be sad and that's not going to help either.
1: So what do you like best about remote work?
0: Um, I like the ability to collaborate with people that I otherwise would not have had the opportunity to do so. Um, so I've really been interested in giving my kids experiences and skills. So like I teach science and the things that we do and create really thinking about what is useful right now. Like, yes, we're learning about genetics, which is awesome. I like to talk about genetics and there's a lot of cool things, um, but there's also this pandemic going on. So what can we create? I had a scientist, um, one of my friends from Tuskegee university, um, taught them how to make soap and they were awesome about that. Then they had a nutritionist talk about food and they played games and did squats and things like that. Or, um, how should we deal with social media and what's positive and things like that. So all these people were able to access all my students where otherwise they might've been there for one class or maybe they're working and they're busy and those times wouldn't work. But since they're at home, you know, I've had a thousand speakers that I could use because everybody's at home. So that's really cool. Um collaborating. I've got to collaborate with a lot of awesome teachers all across the state and even some national teachers Um, which I wouldn't have been able to do before. So I like that, the timing of things, like being able to truly differentiate and not be like slave to this clock. That's got to go. You got to do it. You got to do right now. And even if he's faster than you, then you better speed up. Like, you know, so that part of it, I like, I think it would be difficult to like it though if I didn't know these kids already.
1: Right, building that culture first makes it a lot easier, right, in those relationships. Yeah, this is, uh, I love what you're saying here. This is so great about the flexibility and not being a slave to the clock. I always feel like school's like a prison, you know, they tell you when you can do things and how long you can do it for. Um, and the collaboration piece, like, why haven't we reached out before? I mean, those people are still there. We had the, the tools to Zoom before. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. What is it that's important now about connecting and collaborating across the country?
0: I think it's the pressure. So the pressure of being on a a new platform and that I think some people thought they had engagement when what they had was compliance. So now kids, they don't have to come. There's a thousand excuses for why they don't need to be there. So when you're thinking about this engagement and new ways to try to do that, Um, I think that's where the innovation comes from. There's a, there's pressure. There's a problem that humans usually innovate and create through their problems. So.
1: So true. Yeah. And thinking about how we do our curriculum too, shouldn't we make that a pressure or a problem or a challenge? Project-based learning, challenge-based learning. Like you've got to solve it. Here's the uncomfortable position that we put you in and now you've got to work your way out of it. Um, And through that you learn because you have to, you don't have a choice. Yeah, we were talking about this um, in the episode with Mitch Ziegler about this idea of do the kids need to show up or not? You know, and teachers like existential crisis, like what's my purpose? Why am I here? What purpose do I serve for the kids? And I feel like so much, like you're saying, is compliance. Like we've had to push the kids, like force them to come to class, and now they don't have to. So how do we pull them in? Mm-hmm. And I, I love what you're saying about making things relevant to their lives, you know, like connecting to what's happening right now, not what happened like 300 years ago, because mm-hmm. uh, they don't always see those connections yet. Um, and so, you know, starting with that, I think that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. So you've talked about some of these things, uh, but what are some of the advantages of teaching remotely for you or for your students?
0: I think that an advantage, like we said, was pacing, collaboration. One thing I see that I'll probably move into the traditional classroom is what do you do when you're absent? So if I'm not physically able to be at school now, my game plan has totally changed. I can create innovative and cool things for my kids to do in videos and directions. And, and now we don't have to miss a day. Or what happens when there's a hurricane or snow days or something like that. Now that now it's not like, oh, school's just going to be out. And we're gonna be there longer. I, I doubt that that will ever happen again. I doubt you'll get a snow day or a hurricane. I don't know if you have earthquake days in California. I don't know. If
1: that's a- <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and fortunately, days. I know everyone's saying like California's gonna drop off the, the continent. I'm like, well, we don't have earthquake season every year. So, <laughs> um, no, we usually don't have earthquake days. <laughs>
0: then you'd be a really cool island. <laughs> it'd <be> fine. Like,
1: <laughs> i mean some of us can dream about that <laughs> uh, maybe it will happen one day <laughs> um, that'll be bomb yeah you're right though it's like the flexibility again right we we know we can make these connections uh, we know it's possible when we said we couldn't do it before right
0: yeah and you're fresh so this year both my grandmas died like three three days apart. And I'm not saying that to be sad, but wow. so one of them, I found that out at school. So you're like, oh, okay, it's lunch. But now I got to go back in and teach. Or I have to find somebody to like, come help me teach. And we have a meditation room. And luckily I found like, I'm on the way up the stairs, looking like a zombie. And I saw somebody like, you got to go in my class. I-, I can't. Well, if I was teaching at home, I could process that situation without impacting the kids in that way right i if I'm moody and I need to go on a walk I can go on a walk if you need to go on a walk you go on a walk if you're hungry you could eat like go to the bathroom you know so that part of it now the opportunity is how can we move that into the traditional settings like these are things that make happier not just teachers but kids and how do we change our, our Educational processes to maybe be more like a Google or Amazon or something like that, where your workspace is a little bit different than what has traditionally been.
1: Yeah, to take care of the the humanity of your employees, right? Right. We have concerns too, and how how can we be on it? How can we be sharp and to the point um, and help our students if we can't help ourselves? Yeah, I was talking to Leela Cross about this in her episode. Um, You know, she had a death in the family as well and had to deal with that. And she was talking about how fortunate she was to be on remote school because she could spend time with her dad, you Mm -hmm. know, in his last days because she was there at home. Um, That's really important, right? Mm -hmm. What do you think are some of the lessons that we've learned as educators from all of this that you want to keep and implement once the pandemic is over?
0: One is that relationships are everything. Kids, um... Students, they always have a choice, and I think we think that they don't. They totally do. They have a choice whether they want to engage with you or not, and you being a whole person is very important to them. Them being valued is very important. So, I think what I saw coming onto a different platform is that the high engagement that we had at school, especially the group of teachers that I was with, we did a lot of Things that people thought was a waste of time, like we're doing trips and we have an awareness fair and we're doing all this stuff. Well, about 90% of our kids came online with us. Whereas a lot of other teachers were like, um, I don't, nobody's here and can you call this person and can you? Well, it's kind of like if you move from Instagram to Facebook or I don't know, Instagram to TikTok, the people that were following you, they're going to go with you. It doesn't matter the platform, they like you, you know? so that that's big the kids knowing that you care in those relationships i guess in anything in life that's a, that's most important um another thing that i hope people see and i think being in a title 1 school like you already know this and maybe that has altered my perspective on the pandemic is that life happens and life's tough like for some people this might be one of the biggest tough Parts of life that they've experienced. So in that aspect, it's like everything. And they're flourishing, they're sad, and all this stuff, and that's okay. Like everybody gets to process how they process. But I know a lot of kids have been a pandemic for twelve years. So thinking about that, how we teach kids to be the best in their situations and move through their situations, and I keep saying that. Um, valuing their struggle. I don't don't take a kid's struggle because that might be the very thing that makes them who they are. But how do I support you in your struggle and give you advice in your struggle and show you I care and move you through and not fall apart? So that's big. And then just that educators are collective problem solvers. Like we fill the void, we feed the kids, we solve the gap, we meet the problem. Like educators are used to doing that. You didn't have to tell them oh, your new job is online. And they're like, where's all the trainings? And I don't, that's not in my contract. Like nobody said that they figured it out. And literally, I know in Florida, we got maybe a week's notice. This is what you're going to do. Everybody figure it out. And they did that and they shined, you know, as best they could, you know. And then the last thing is just really analyzing what you teach and why are you teaching that? There's a lot of irrelevant things that I can just speak for our our curriculum here that are just time wasters. And I think I think the goal is for kids to not like education so that they're not productive, innovative, competitive citizens. I think it's that's me and my own conspiracy theory that I believe that this system is created to do that, maintain this levels of hierarchy and these kids just are here. So let's not do that. Let's, what can I do to help you do meaningful, productive growth? What about what we teach is beneficial to you at all? What skills do you actually need? And what can you Google? Because Google the thing, and I don't need you to memorize things that you could ask Siri for. And then the world has seen what teachers do, right? You got parents at home and they're like, oh, my kid was suspended the first day of homeschool because he took this. So (laughs) everybody knows like your job is hard. And now that everybody knows that, and I think they thought they knew it before because they went to school. Right. (laughs) So they thought that they knew what teachers do, but now, you know, and I think that that needs to be valued and compensated that this isn't a job for all the 19 year olds that don't know what they want to do or, or, because you really love being a mom or anything like that, the technical skills that it takes to be a teacher and the patience and the mental stability and the critical thinking needs to be compensated at the level of any other position where you would require that much.
1: Absolutely absolutely you're right it's great it's like how everyone's eyes are open to all of these things we're talking about feeding the children and the life situations that our kids have and them seeing us it's this level of transparency i think for all of these social structures all these social ills as well as um the education system i think i hope um people will act on that now that they've seen that um, yeah that's so important so you seem to have your act together you seem pretty uh, <laughs> flexible. Maybe it's like the kids and the, the husband and everything that are like got you to, to this point of being, <laughs> being able to manage. It seems like you're doing all right. Um, but I know a lot of teachers are, are struggling, you know, like you said, identity crisis or they've got their own issues in their own lives. And so I'm wondering if you have any advice for them um, as they get through these tough times or to make them stronger moving forward.
0: I think it's like every day you do the best you can, right? And if you know better, do better. And I think that is a statement that's really important. I think teachers think that every day matters, but the good thing is that every day matters. And so there's lots of days. So be a place of consistency for your students. They know that the world is unpredictable and hopefully, you know, the world's unpredictable too, but we live here and we are here and we're here for this time, you know, so I can be A joy or a place where my kids know that they can come and they're gonna have class and it's gonna be normal They don't have to worry about who I am that day, you know So that's one thing Two, teamwork makes the dream work because you're in isolation does not mean you're alone And you shouldn't take it that way. So I think this job is too difficult to do by yourself everybody is not everybody's favorite teacher just facts, right? so without like my team, I wouldn't know where half the kids are or what they need or that we can solve these problems together about how to support our students is amazing. Like nobody has to be everything for everybody. The other thing is like this too shall pass. Like time moves. So just like a month ago, or maybe it's like two months now. I don't know what time it is at all. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what it is. But you probably wouldn't imagine that this would be happening right now, right? You thought you'd be almost at the end of the school year or doing your class trip or whatever. So to know that time, this is going to pass and that every day you have is a gift for you to do whatever it is that you want. And so don't stress about what you can't do. Is there something going on and can I do something about it? And if I can't do something about it, not internalizing that. And that's been really big, especially for me and my community, because of course, like there's police shootings and all this other stuff, and non police shootings, and Amberi Ahmad, and all that. And so people feel very like helpless. You internalize that anger, and you're just sitting here angry. And there's value in mourning, right? So there's a place for mourning and being empathetic, and trying to problem solve around a better future. But there's also value in realizing what you can and cannot do. So if I can do something about it, like if I can sign that petition or make that phone call, I'm going to do that. What I'm not going to do is be scared every day. And I'm not going to just hate everybody that I see or whatever. That's what I'm not going to do because the only person that's hurting is me. That anger is internalizing me and making me sick. It's that fine line of knowing that life always moves on. You know, I don't know if Beautiful. that makes
1: sense. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think we kind of know that, but kind of forget it sometimes. You've talked about a lot of the silver linings in the situation. Um, if you had to narrow it down to one, what would it be?
0: just this holistic approach to life that you are not what you do you are you and that's enough you know you're michael and i'm jerome and my mom's my mom and we're not the the job we have or the thing we do for somebody else and we can choose to do those things, but just not getting caught up in the busyness of this system and remembering who you are and that that's enough. However you are, whatever you are, if you're sad, you're sad. Like, that's fine right now, you know?
1: Great advice. I love that. Um, so what do you want policymakers to change or adopt as we look to next school year and reimagine the future of education?
0: Um, I kind of like already said a lot of that. One is like rethinking what we teach. What's the purpose of the programs and curriculum that we have put together and how can we change that to really have a positive impact and matter in our students' lives? Um, Two, like you said, the, the humanity of our system, not just for students, but for teachers as well. How can we value the whole person and the needs that a whole person could have so that we all can be healthy and therefore do the, a better job? And lastly, the thought of compensation. So this conversation about compensation is really funny when it comes to teachers. And I've been in a lot of rooms where you're having that conversation and it ends up going bad quick. Like they're like, well, I don't do it for the money. And that's great. And most people don't do it for the money. But the doctor that went to school and he's got to take the time and the pressure and the responsibility, he gets compensated for that. And that's important because the toll that it takes on his family to do that job deserves compensation. Teachers do that same thing as well. Um, I don't know a teacher that goes to work at eight and gets off at four and they're done. Like that they've planned and they've called calls and they don't think about it at home. And I don't, I don't know anybody like that. I also know many, many teachers that have diffused big problems and dealt with kids that have serious things going on and provided for things in their classroom, their needs, and then the technical skills of teachers to teach 30 different kids on different levels at the exact same time in your class while managing this behavior, while tracking this data and moving forward with that. I would argue that there's not many corporations or professional jobs that can do that. So if you want that, if you want the best of the best in your classrooms and you can't pay them like they work at McDonald's. So hopefully that'll change.
1: Me too. Is there anything else you'd like to share about uh, school closures and remote work?
0: I'm excited for what comes next. I think that would be the thing. I can't wait to see how our system evolves from here and how our teachers evolve from here and the voice that they use and what our kids are gonna accept and not accept. I'm, I'm excited about that.
1: Well, Drew Washington, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a great conversation. Thanks for sharing your ideas. If you like the podcast, rate us and write us a review. It helps people find us. And don't forget to sign up for our monthly email newsletter. You can find the details on our website, changethenarrative.net.